0: From NPR, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. Today we visit Cincinnati, where scientists are trying to understand how children who are exposed to tiny amounts of lead may lose critical coping skills for the rest of their lives.
1: If I just don't sit down and just be still and just try to cool down, I just blow up i just be so mad, but I just can't help it sometimes.
0: Researchers have found a strong link between lead poisoning and delinquent behavior and think that may predispose these children to commit crimes as adults.
2: I guess the way I think about lead is that the environment these children are living in, environment of uh, drugs, easy access to uh, guns, I guess I would say that the environment provides the opportunity lead may pull the trigger.
0: The Secret Life of Lead, this week on Living on Earth, right after this.
3: Support for Living on Earth comes from the National Science Foundation and Stonyfield Farm.
0: Welcome to Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood in Cincinnati. And we're here to take you on a journey. But we won't be boarding the paddle wheelers that cater to tourists along the Ohio River waterfront of this Midwestern city, or the tour buses that frequent the famous Cincinnati Zoo. No, today we embark on a voyage of scientific discovery with a team of researchers at Cincinnati Children's Hospital and the University of Cincinnati. They have led us into their lives and laboratories to help us learn how cutting-edge science does its work, to help us understand how years of hard labor, false starts, and moments of inspiration can lead to scientific breakthroughs. For more than two decades, the Cincinnati research team has been trying to unravel the scientific secrets relating to childhood lead exposure, and this step-by-step process is far from finished. Our story on this emerging science doesn't begin in a room filled with test tubes and people with white coats, but in a modest, tidy living room on the outskirts of the city.
4: Tommy, you are so disrespectful. You're out there cussing and
0: everything. Enough is enough. Tony is in trouble again. His mother Diana says it's nothing new for her 22-year-old.
4: He can't hold down a job. He can't keep a steady girlfriend. His mind is like his mind races.
0: And Tony's troubles today look much like the ones of his early years when his family lived in a gritty neighborhood downtown.
4: It was hard, especially trying to raise three other children who, quote, unquote, was pretty normal. But then you've got this child, you just can't figure out what's going on. It was a tear in our marriage. And then you've got this kid, every time you turn around, you're getting a phone call coming and getting.
0: Diana and I talk while Tony wanders in and out of the house, yakking on his cell phone, meandering up and down the stairs. He says he wants to talk with me, but it seems like he just can't sit down.
4: Tony, are you ready for your interview? Mm-hmm.
0: Finally, Tony sits down to chat. He squirms as he tells me about life in grade school.
5: Couldn't concentrate. I was wild. Wanted to be over here talking, but I had to do my work over here. I was... That was rough right there. It was always a concentration thing with me, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I guess they thought it was like, well, he has a behavior problem or whatever. It was just I didn't want to sit down. School, it was just rough, man, from first grade to the 11th it was just rough
4: he's very smart he can be a very sweet child he's just not um his attention span Tony doesn't have a good attention span at all and he's been diagnosed with ADD and I don't know if that's part of him having lead or it could very well just be part of my gene that he has
0: Indeed, that's the question scientists who've been following Tony all his life would like to answer. Like millions of American children, Tony spent his early childhood in an apartment that was loaded with dust from lead paint. But unlike most of those children, Tony's exposure to lead has been carefully documented since he was in his mother's womb. He's one of nearly 300 individuals being followed by the research team in Cincinnati that's probing the long-term effects of lead. Neuropsychologist Kim Dietrich has been studying this group
2: for more than 20 years. We recruit them prior to birth and then follow them over a period of time, measuring the amount of lead they're exposed to by measuring the lead in their blood and their behavior sequentially. And thus we can correlate earlier exposure to lead, which we have a good record of, with later behavioral problems.
0: When he was a toddler, Tony had levels of lead in his blood that today would be considered cause for concern. But back then, lead exposure was only officially a cause for concern at levels approaching those that could lead to seizure or death. Still, there were some signs that childhood lead exposure in much smaller doses could have an adverse impact on learning and behavior. Trouble was, most kids who are identified with elevated lead exposures were also poor, and many were black. Some said their problems could be blamed on poverty and race. Many were skeptical that lead was playing any large role, among them, Kim Dietrich himself.
2: There are certainly children who are not poor that get lead poison. We know that for certain. But it is predominantly seen in uh, children living in situations that present other challenges to optimal development, including poor nutrition, perhaps in some cases, uh, inadequate caretaking and supervision, and stimulation and so I was I was skeptical I thought since lead was correlated with these other factors it was probably more these other factors that were responsible for the effects that were observed and there was only one way to really tease this out and that was to conduct a different kind of study we call a prospective study in a
0: prospective study a group of people are followed over a period of time to see who gets sick and why lead exposure had never been studied this way before most of the 300 people recruited for the study first lived here in Over the Rhine, a neighborhood near downtown Cincinnati that's seen better days. Its name comes from the German immigrants who moved here in the 19th century. Tony spent his first years in an apartment only a few doors away from the clinic where Kim Dietrich has his office. On a snowy day, Dr. Dietrich and I set out for a tour of the neighborhood. Near the front door of the clinic, a sign says BMF.
2: BMF stands for Babies Milk Fund.
0: Baby's Milk Fund. Baby's
2: Milk Fund, right. Uh, Because it was originally established to provide um, vitamin D-enriched milk to prevent rickets uh, in children who were not getting adequate nourishment living in the community.
0: Today, almost every family here lives below the poverty line, and many people still go hungry. They make do in shabby apartment houses that share the streets with abandoned properties. Many of the facades of these decaying buildings are adorned with intricate carvings that recall how grand this neighborhood once was. And as this elegance has faded, it has shed lead paint, dust and chips all over the ground.
2: As a matter of fact, in neighborhoods like this, uh, the soils and other surface areas can have concentrations of lead which are equal to or greater than that which you would find in certain mining communities where lead had been mined for decades. Wow. Poor people have many times no choice but to live in communities like this where the housing is not well maintained. And as a result, they're essentially trapped in this world of lead. God, look at this place. Good. This one uh, is...
0: Is is occupied, but uh, next to it is a vacant building where the windows are cracked. But it
2: is for rent. And so um, at some point in time, a family is going to move into this apartment. And I can tell you for certain that there are significant lead hazards in this building just by uh, looking at the exterior. If we were able to get inside, we would very likely find baseboards and windowsills with peeling and cracking paint. And the thing you have to understand here, or or at least appreciate, is that this is one house, but it's not a question of one house and one child. This lead-contaminated apartment here is going to poison more than just one child because there's going to be families moving in and out and in and out of this apartment over and over and again.
0: Back when Kim Dietrich started his study, The Centers for Disease Control set the official threshold of concern for lead at 30 micrograms per deciliter of blood. Most of the children in his research group, or cohort as it's called, did not have any obvious physical signs of lead poisoning, but had exposures around this level of concern. It didn't take long for Dr. Dietrich to see results.
2: We found a number of things. We found that uh, even exposure in the womb was associated with uh, lower birth weight uh, in our cohort. It was associated with a slower rate of early sensory motor development. Later on, we found that lead exposure, earlier lead exposure, was associated with a lower IQ.
0: And this was true even when Dr. Dietrich took into account other factors, such as the mother's IQ, the quality of child care, and the child's nutrition. Kim Dietrich measured other aspects of neurological development through specially designed games and tests.
2: We have found over the years that lead ex- exposure is associated with a number of motor symptoms, Children with higher exposure to lead had difficulty engaging in fine motor tasks. They had poor postural stability. In other words, they were not as coordinated as as their peers who were exposed to uh, lower levels of lead. In
0: 1991, the work done by Dr. Dietrich and other leading researchers prompted the government to tighten its threshold of concern for children down to 10 micrograms of lead per deciliter. The Cincinnati study was one of several that began in the early 1980s. Today, it is the only long-term study still intact.
2: When you follow a cohort for over uh, 20 years, it becomes much more than just a research study. You get personally involved uh, with the families, uh, with the uh, sometimes troubles and crises they may have from time to time. Persistence is part
0: of the research protocol here. And to keep people coming in for checkups and testing, Dr. Dietrich and his colleagues have spent many hours knocking on doors, holding holiday parties, even checking out the local laundromat to find no shows. But the problems of keeping the study cohort together go beyond missed appointments.
2: A great many, unfortunately, uh, of the members of this cohort have had uh, problems in terms of uh, the justice system. More than a handful have been incarcerated. And, unfortunately, one of the sources of attrition in our cohort um, is homicide. That is, members of the cohort being killed either as, as a function of a drive-by shooting or engaging in criminal activity themselves.
0: The violence and crime that is so much of a part of life in this neighborhood may well be connected to childhood lead exposure, says Dr. Dietrich. Two years ago, he published a study about delinquency, and reported that the teens in his group with the highest lead exposures were much more likely to engage in delinquent behavior than teens with the lowest exposures to lead as children. Dr. Dietrich says he doesn't know exactly how lead exposure can lead to delinquent behavior, but he does know that lead seems to compromise the abilities to focus and control impulses, and that is an important clue.
2: For example, we know that children who um, have attentional deficits poor impulse control, deficits in an area we call executive functions, that is a lack of ability to plan ahead, to anticipate consequences. Um, We know that children who have these behavioral deficits are at higher risk for engaging in antisocial behavior and ultimately behaviors we associate with a high risk of arrest and adjudication for delinquency.
0: For Kim Dietrich, lead very well might tip the balance when it comes to the ability to resist temptation.
2: I guess the way I think about lead is that the environment these children are living in, uh, environment of uh, drugs, easy access to uh, guns, I guess I would say that the environment provides the opportunity lead may pull the trigger. Two decades
0: into this research, Kim Dietrich's subjects are now young adults. We'll meet a few of them and hear about their problems with the law and see how researchers hope to learn more about the secret life of lead coming up right after this. Listening to NPR's Living on Earth. Welcome back to Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood in Cincinnati. (laughs) We're home again with Tony. He's a 22-year-old who was exposed to lead as a child. All his life researchers have been monitoring him as part of a study of the long-term effects of lead. Like many in the study, Tony has trouble concentrating. He says he can't keep a job or a steady girlfriend. In fact, it was hard for him to sit down and talk. For Tony, life is chaotic. But there is one way Tony can deal with the world around him. That's his music.
6: We hell you lose your life For very small price, Some situations get trite. We hell-bound. we get high and ride If you let us see
5: them all, but you gon' die tonight My nigga damn, a hurt Studio, is like my own little world, man. Once I'm in there, it's like my own world, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm separate from everybody, man. Everybody.
0: So what do you do in the studio when you go
5: there? Um, I'm all over, man. I'm, I'm an artist. I might help you produce a track, and yeah. I might just sit there and, and mess with the, the, um, the uh, mix board, make sure your your vocals and everything right, but. I'm everywhere, man.
0: Music is the only thing that can capture Tony's attention for any length of time. It's been that way all his life. Back in elementary school, he says his teachers constantly complained about him not paying attention and acting out in class.
5: Hyper, man. That's that's a perfect word for me, man. Hyper, man.
0: Hyper, yeah. Then when he was 14, Tony started life on the streets. As he put it, selling drugs was easy money.
5: Then you don't think about the consequences as far as you out here making money doing it illegal. You know what I'm saying? One day you might make 400, next day you might make 900. That way, now you got something you could do. You know what I'm saying? with time we gonna go out? Oh, I got a little money in my pocket. I can go out too, come on. You know what I'm saying? And then you go out, one thing leads to another, so. Yeah, it was like that.
0: Did you get hurt at all? Um,
5: yeah, I done got stabbed. Got, yeah, Yeah. what happened? Yeah. Um, Got shot right here. I got stabbed on my stomach. Man, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, street life, man.
0: So what changed your mind about the street life?
5: Uh, came about 2000. My son came. You got a boy? Yeah, I got a son. So when he came, it was just like... It was... Um, it was just something that click with me, like, you know what I'm saying? Either you're going to be here with him or he's going to be here by himself. So you know what I'm saying, I'm like, my father was always there for me, so I figured I got to be there for mine. So he was either leave the streets along and raise him or don't raise him and end up in jail or dead, or so, took the other way. All right,
1: my first name, LaQuisha. I'm 18 and I live in Walnut Hills.
5: LaQuisha
0: is part of the same study that follows Tony. Like Tony, she has to come here to the clinic for regular check-ins. And like Tony, LaQuisha has spent some time in jail. But it's not drugs that get her into trouble, it's her temper. She gets into fights easily and was kicked out of public school. LaQuisha seems quiet enough. It's hard to imagine her blowing up. But if something sets her off, she just can't help herself.
1: And I be trying to get help with it, but for real, for real, I don't know how. Like, I don't know how to go about doing it. but. Sometimes I just get so mad, like, it could just be over love stuff, like, and I'm telling you, like if, it, like, if I just don't sit down and just be still and just try to cool down, I just blow up and just start tearing everything up. And I don't be liking to be that way because after I get finished, it be like, man, like, why I do this, like, and... I just be so mad, but I just can't help it sometimes.
0: LaQuisha has been to anger management class, but it didn't seem to help much. Not only does she easily lose her temper, she also easily loses her train of
5: thought.
1: I got to be focused for a minute, and then, like, I just get on something else. Like, I, I, I don't know what's be happening. Like, and I be asking my mama, like, and my mama just be like, you know what I'm saying, you got to forget about everything else like, and really concentrate and not be telling her, like, I concentrate and I just go out focus, like.
0: At the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, researchers have joined in the effort to see if the troubles of people like Tony and LaQuisha are a function of their exposure to lead in early childhood. Certainly they had lead levels that today would be considered unacceptable, and lead is a potent neurotoxin. That means it can interfere with the brain's chemicals, functions, and development. But science is not yet able to draw a straight line between lead poisoning and any given act of antisocial behavior.
7: Bruce Lamphere heads the hospital's Environmental Health Center. There's some evidence from the animal literature that it can alter either uh, the binding of neurotransmitters or the release of neurotransmitters. But again, the specific mechanism that causes any particular problem, whether it's intellectual impairments or lower IQ scores, or whether it's impulsivity or attentional problems, we don't know what the connection is. And there may be more than one.
0: Lowered IQ, trouble with learning, poor impulse control, and the lack of ability to plan ahead all make it harder to make good choices in bad situations. And Dr. Lamphere says more studies are providing additional support for the link between lead and crime. For example, recent findings by University of Pittsburgh researchers show that teens with a history of lead poisoning are twice as likely to be considered delinquent by the law, their school, or their
7: family. So there's actually quite a bit of evidence that begins to link lead as a potent neurotoxin and conduct disorder or antisocial behavior or criminal behavior. And while it's always very difficult, because it's a very charged topic to make any definitive links... There certainly is a growing body of evidence that really substantiates uh, some of the work that's now been ongoing for over 20 years. To help unravel the secret life of lead,
0: Bruce Lamphere and Kim Dietrich are heading up a five-year multi-pronged study funded by the National Institute for Environmental Health Sciences. As part of this new round of research, they are conducting two unprecedented studies on lead and crime. Both involve Kim Dietrich's research group that includes Tony and LaQuisha. One study seeks to identify any physical changes in the brain.
7: We'll take that same group of children, now young adults, and using imaging techniques, try to see whether lead exposure impacts the function or makeup of the brain. So are certain parts of the brain smaller or more dense, for example? Uh, Does that tie in to the delinquency that we're seeing?
0: Another study asks these same young adults about their behavior and screens them psychologically. By correlating results with known childhood lead exposures, researchers will try to tease out what influence, if any, lead has on adult antisocial behaviors.
8: Please enter the subject's last name. Enter the code.
0: Most people are reluctant to discuss criminal behavior, so the team has designed a talking computer program in the hopes it'll be easier to confess to a machine.
8: Please enter the subject six-digit
7: ID. Enter the code.
0: Lewis, a young man with a bright yellow shirt and a shy smile, sits at the computer. He's in the neighborhood office of Kim Dietrich today for his psychological testing. After his one-on-one confidential interview with a research assistant, the computer queries Lewis for about an hour.
3: How many times in the last year have you purposely damaged or destroyed property belonging to your parents or other family members? type a number for your answer. Your answer was, number two, wands.
0: Lewis has been coming to the clinic since he was an infant. Some of his earliest memories involve playing games here.
6: They had the little Sesame Streets on the wall, and the Oscar and all the Sesame Street characters just come down here and they just give us little toys and stuff.
0: I see you're smiling when you're talking about this. Sounds like you really like coming to visit here.
6: Mm, yeah, sir. yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Didn't they poke you with needles and stuff and want to take blood and all that nah, kind of stuff? That ain't, that
6: ain't, that, ain't the bad, that ain't the bad part about it. Yeah. No. Nah. It ain't mean they comfort you to keep you comforted while, you, while they do that, so.
0: So this was a fun place to come to?
6: Mm-hmm, Yeah.
0: For Lewis, life away from the neighborhood lead clinic was not as kind. He's lived in 28 foster homes, he's been in and out of jail for robbery, and he was even featured in a local newspaper story about kids from a city high school who are having a tough time getting by. Some of the the lead research shows that people who've had this question of lead are, are twice as likely to wind up dealing with the juvenile system if they hadn't had it. Think it had any effect on you like that?
6: mm mm-hmm. Might have. Might haven't, but my record is probably half, probably here.
0: Lewis is now out on parole on a robbery conviction. He says he doesn't want to go back to jail, but in his world, he feels his options are limited. His rap says it all.
6: Now people wanna know how I make a living, the same way you do. The only difference is I'm dealing. I'd rather live my life on the straight road and do it legal. I only end up running back to the arms of evil. I gotta see, and I can't stand to watch it stall. I'd rather sell dope and make it look like we live large and take the charge, pay lawyers so I don't long behind bars. When I get out back on the block, I'm still waving down cars, and it's a new way to hustle. Every time I get out, it seems that every day my mama always cussing me out. She's saying leave, but I love her and it's stressing me more, but I can't leave this game knowing that my pockets is sore, so I stay grinding, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. So I wonder that's it now. I'm cut off right
0: there. Bruce Lamphere says while much of the dangers of lead are well documented, society has remained relatively indifferent to the problem, with millions of homes still contaminated by lead paint. That makes it important, he says, for people to
7: understand the link between lead and crime. Partly because right now, many families and many decision makers in the United States feel like lead doesn't affect them at all. I think to the extent that we begin to recognize that lead or any other toxins or any other risk factors, for that matter, might increase the rates of of criminal behavior, that's something people feel vulnerable to. Criminals cross over from one neighborhood to the next. And so... When we begin to make connections between lead and criminal behavior, that's something that people can't just say, yeah, that's fine, it affects inner-city kids, it doesn't affect my kids. They can't say that about crime.
0: The Cincinnati lead team has learned a great deal about the effects of lead, but there is still much more work to be done. So, at the University of Cincinnati Hospital, Bruce Lanfear's team is recruiting a whole new cohort of pregnant women. There you go.
7: Just relax and have a seat.
0: Some of the data to be collected will be used to verify results so far. Other data will break new ground, these scientists hope, and nothing can happen without new moms. Amy Kogbrenner is in charge of enrolling 400 pregnant women and keeping them and their children coming back for the next three years, if not longer not an easy task. Today, the soon-to-be moms are coming in for their first doctor's appointments, and Amy waits in the hospital's obstetrics clinic, constantly checking and rechecking her notes.
9: Just because we're at the very beginning of the study, and so this is new to me as well as being new to the staff. And um, oftentimes what I'll do when something's just absolutely brand spanking new and unexpected. I don't like to ask my staff to just jump in and, and do it because I don't want to put them in a tremendously uncomfortable situation. So oftentimes I'll sort of do the first few, see how it's going, feel my way through it, model it a little bit for them. So it kind of puts the, puts the burden back on me to do the screening today.
0: Ms. Kalkbrenner hopes to convince suitable candidates to be part of the new study. In exchange, they get some free home improvements and a few hundred dollars to spend at the grocery store. One question these women and their babies may help answer is, how much lead is too much? Today, the official threshold of concern is 10 micrograms of lead per deciliter of blood. That's drastically tightened from the 30 micrograms that was permitted back when Kim Dietrich started his cohort two decades ago. Yet, Dr. Lanthier has already conducted short-term studies that show that even 10 micrograms may have harmful effects. Among 5,000 children, he found cognitive deficits from even those tiny amounts of lead raising the question that there may be no truly safe levels of lead exposure for children. From a population
7: perspective, what we can say about lead exposure is that if there's no discernible threshold, and that's what the evidence points to, then 90% of the children who are adversely affected by lead in this country never have a blood level that exceeds 10 micrograms per deciliter.
0: Dr. Lamphere has also found that the greatest loss of IQ occurs in the
7: earliest stages of lead toxicity. So going from... A blood lead of less than 1 to a blood lead of 10, on average, was associated with about a 7-point drop in IQ. In contrast, if we looked at children, a population of children going from 10 micrograms to 20 micrograms per deciliter, there was only about an estimated 2.5-point drop in IQ.
0: These new studies are expected to confirm these earlier results, says Dr. Lamphere. But with evidence that even tiny amounts of lead can affect intelligence, The Cincinnati team wants to explore the role such amounts could play in ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Dr. Lamphere says if this research shows a link between lead and this widely publicized condition, it might spark broad public interest, since millions of children suffer from
7: ADHD. I think the problem with looking at minor changes or decrements in IQ is that they're subtle, they're hard to measure. With ADHD, it's a clinical disease, it's a clinical diagnosis. And if we can say there's a 50% increase in ADHD for every 10 microgram per deciliter increase in blood lead, it may be that people understand that easier. For this new
0: study, the team is recruiting 400 pregnant women from middle class and poor neighborhoods in and around
7: Cincinnati. Half of the group will receive extensive home lead abatement. We'll go in, measure the home, if there's lead in dust, lead in soil, lead in water, lead in the paint, if the paint is peeling or in disrepair. So if the dust lead levels are excessive, but we don't find that the paint's in poor condition, we may just do a cleanup. In other cases, the windows may be in really poor shape. We'll replace the windows. If there's lead-contaminated soil, we'll do something to cover that up. Dr. Lamphere says these efforts should keep child blood lead
0: levels from rising above 3 micrograms. A control group involving the homes of 200 pregnant women will not receive lead abatement. Dr. Lamphere anticipates children in these homes will have more learning disabilities and developmental disorders, even though they will have blood lead levels that are considered safe by the government. But Dr. Lamphere doesn't feel it's right to improve the lives of half the group and do nothing for the others. So, for the control group, his team is providing help to reduce household hazards, the most common cause of death for children
7: under five. We will put stair gates in place, if indicated. We'll turn down water temperature below 120 degrees. Uh, to make it less likely to burn a child. We'll put window guards in for multi-unit dwellings where there's over two stories. Uh, we will put latches or safety locks on cabinets where cleaners are kept or medications are kept.
0: So far, there are
7: funds to evaluate
0: all the children in the study at 12, 24, and 36 months. But Dr. Lamphere hopes his research will continue over the lifetimes of the children, providing data on the impact of lead for years to come just as Kim Dietrich has done. But meanwhile, back at the OB clinic, there's a little snag.
1: Okay, Christy, as of yet, has not showed in.
0: Clipboard in hand, Dr. Lamphere's project director, Amy Kalkbrenner, tells us she thought she'd be much further along recruiting participants. She didn't plan on speaking with these women for the first time today, but efforts to contact them by phone didn't work much at all.
9: And I guess I thought more of the time we'd, we'd find valid phone numbers, and it's been about 75% of the phone numbers are just completely
0: wrong. She later heard from nurses at this low-income clinic that wrong numbers are common here. The women move frequently, phones are disconnected, and sometimes a wrong number might be given to forestall hospital bill collectors.
9: I've actually been working to prepare this study for just a little over a year, which is a pretty long time to work on something before it starts. I think this is the longest startup I've ever had. So I guess the irony is that even after a year-plus of preparation, when the day actually comes, there's still just a lot of unexpected, a lot of unknown, and just, I don't want to say chaos, but, but a little bit of chaos.
0: We'll see how Amy Kalkbrenner does on her first day recruiting pregnant women for the new research cohort later on. But first, a look at the history and politics of lead research right after this.
3: Funding for Living on Earth comes from the World Media Foundation. Major contributors include the Ford Foundation for reporting on U.S. environment and development issues and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation for coverage of Western issues. Support also comes from NPR member stations and the Noyce Foundation, dedicated to improving math and science instruction from kindergarten through grade 12. And Bob Williams and Meg Caldwell, honoring NPR's coverage of environmental and natural resource issues, and in support of the NPR President's Council. It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood.
5: 1927.
0: The Jazz Singer wows audiences as the first talking feature film. Charles Lindbergh flies the first solo crossing of the Atlantic from New York to Paris. And in the face of growing evidence that lead paint is dangerous, especially to children, European nations are banning it in homes. But in the U.S., lead paint companies are politicking to keep their product on the market. Historian David
7: Rosner. They literally discuss in their meetings that lead poisoning is becoming prevalent, and they begin to develop A campaign that literally tries to minimize the danger by saying that these are children who they're relatively few number and the ones that are damaged are generally kids who are not being supervised by their parents or alternatively have a disease called pica, which is a craving for non-food
0: substances. While blaming the victims, the industry also moves to stifle the scientists who document the dangers of lead paint. When Randolph Byers, a pediatrician at Harvard Medical School, publishes his 1943 study showing substantial long-term harm from lead exposure, the lead industry threatens him with lawsuits and effectively silences him. In 1979, another Harvard researcher, Herbert Needleman, shows that supposedly safe levels of lead exposure in childhood correlate with learning disabilities and diminished IQs. The lead industry fires back. Two university-based scientists supported by the industry charge Dr. Needleman with scientific misconduct. He's forced to defend himself in front of his funding agency, the National Institutes of Health, and his efforts to get tenured in academia are threatened. Eventually, Dr. Needleman's research is verified, but the message was clear, says Don Ryan, executive director of the Alliance to End Childhood Lead Poisoning. Don't mess with the lead industry. Every step of the way, the uh, the lead industry challenged the scientific evidence, ridiculed um, the reality of lead's low-level health effects, and basically claimed um, this was uh, problem was being completely overblown by by scientists. Lead is still a risky topic for scientists who investigate it today. Scientists like Bruce Lamphere at Cincinnati Children's Hospital.
7: Dr. Lamphere says at first his work was pretty much ignored by the lead industry. And, in fact, I always used to hear some of the the more senior researchers complain about the lead industry uh, getting involved in negative ways with with their research. And they would say the lead industry sort of like it was a mafia. And I I never really was aware of it. And so I, I never quite believed
0: it. That is until Dr. Lamphere started to publish results showing that even very low levels of lead can reduce IQs. At that point, he says, his nomination to the Lead Advisory Board at the Centers for Disease Control
7: hit a roadblock. Beginning in March of last year, I heard from from a CDC official that while I had been nominated for over a year, uh, that the lead industry was visiting with Tommy Thompson or Tommy Thompson's office and putting forward their own nominations. And then it was about a month or two later that he called me up, and he was very apologetic, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to approve your nomination.
0: Tommy Thompson is secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees the CDC. A department spokesperson would not disclose specific appointments, but defended the nomination process and said nominees are chosen to represent a spectrum of viewpoints. Dr. Lamphere says he understands why the lead industry might feel
7: threatened by his findings. For example, if in Rhode Island, if uh, it's recognized that children with blood leads over ten are adversely affected by lead exposure, you may have three to four thousand children a year. Well, if it's over five micrograms per deciliter, then you you could probably increase that by tenfold, so it's fifty thousand to a hundred thousand children, and that's just in one state. If there's no threshold of safety with millions of children every year in the United States. Millions upon millions of children. And so you can begin to see rather quickly as you add up those numbers uh, that the lead industry doesn't want that research, our research to be recognized as valid. Good morning.
3: morning. Members of the jury, uh, like Mr. Scott, I also want to thank you for the time, you know, and the effort, and the interest that you've shown in this case. In
0: 1999, the state of Rhode Island took the lead industry to court to hold it accountable for poisoning tens of thousands of children. Both Bruce Lanfear and Kim Dietrich testified about the harm the toxin can cause when the case finally came to trial in 2002. Looks like some kind of a pegboard here. Well, this is for When I visited Dr. Dietrich in his Cincinnati office, he took out a bright yellow plastic container. It looked like a big lunchbox, but it was covered with poison stickers. Inside, a few vials cushioned in foam. Dr. Dietrich held one up to the light.
2: In the interior of homes, the clearance level for lead and dust on floors is 40 micrograms uh, of lead per square foot. And this would equal... or exceed the clearance level, the EPA clearance level for lead and dust on floors.
8: I don't see and nothing.
2: That's right. That's the point, isn't it? But it's really there. There are there's five, four, forty micrograms of lead paint dust or lead dust in this vial, and so you can see uh, how how it, how difficult it is to detect, and also for a parent to realize there is a hazard there, and to um, work uh, to eliminate it. Stuff is potent. Yeah. Well, you can, you can see why they didn't want me to show that to the jurors. Industry
0: attorneys argued that lead would never occur in such a pure form in the home, but would always be accompanied by some amount of dust. This demonstration was therefore misleading and should not be allowed as evidence. The judge agreed, and the jury never saw Dr. Dietrich's vials. The trial ended with a hung jury in October of 2002. The lead industry has failed to respond to repeated interview requests from Living on Earth about the Rhode Island lead case and lead research. But Sheldon Whitehouse, who tried the case as attorney
8: general of Rhode Island, didn't mince words when he spoke to the press after the trial. Every day, more kids are lead poisoned in Rhode Island. And the longer it takes to bring this case to conclusion, uh, the more kids remain lead poisoned. And the longer the defendants are intransigent about doing one darn thing to try to be helpful in Rhode Island as opposed to litigious, uh, then the longer it is and the more it is that children will continue to be poisoned.
0: There's a personal reason for the passion of Sheldon Whitehouse over what he calls the wrongs of the lead industry hi you must be sheldon whitehouse i am hi i'm steve kerwood from living on earth i met mr whitehouse in providence on a rainy spring morning and we sat around the dining table of his exquisitely restored victorian those renovations had created a beautiful home but as it turns out they had also poisoned his children with lead
8: you know the a parent's highest obligation is to protect his or her children and when you find that right in your own home where uh, they're supposed to be safest um, in fact, they were getting poisoned. You feel horrible, frankly. And then you get mad? No, I don't think there was really, you know, much to get mad about. Um, it's one of those systems things where, you know, it shouldn't have happened, but it doesn't just happen to me and my family. It happens to families throughout Rhode Island. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, nobody brings it up. But once it comes up, if you're in a group of, you know, employed, upper-middle-class families with cars and houses and, you know, taking their kids to school and private school and all that sort of stuff, you start talking about it, you will find out that people will admit, oh, yeah, my, that happened to my daughter too. Yeah, my son got a high lead level. It's sort of a... Um, it's almost a, like a dirty little unspoken secret that this is happening around here. And I can see why people don't talk about it, because it's you know, embarrassing. You f- you feel like you've failed as a parent when that sort of thing happens. But. Wait a second. The lead industry might say that, too.
0: All these people, their kids have been poisoned. They should have known they should have conducted themselves in a better
8: fashion. It's their fault. And they have been saying that. They've been saying that for a long time. They began saying it most offensively when it was poor black children in urban ghettos in Maryland so that the rest of America could go by and say, well, look, we take care of our children. We don't, uh, we don't live in uh, ghettos, and we don't let our children eat lead paint chips the size of, of uh, potato chips. So it's not our problem. It's okay. And what we're finding out is that that ain't so. It never was so. But do I feel responsible for taking care of my children? I absolutely do. It uh, Was it my fault that this happened? Not entirely. But once you step into the fault arena, I think there's a fair amount to go around in different places. We think landlords have a role, and that's why we've been going hard after landlords in Rhode Island, to make them clean up. But by God, these paint companies have some responsibility as well. And they are pretending that they have none, and that's just wrong. Sheldon
0: Whitehouse's term as attorney general has ended, but he predicts Rhode Island will continue to fight the lead companies in court. He draws an analogy to the tobacco liability cases, which were won after repeated efforts and needed sound scientific research to counter the claims of the tobacco companies. Right now, Mr. Whitehouse says, research on lead is of critical importance to counter what he calls misleading information from the lead companies.
8: And it's critical from a public health point of view that we lower the exposure of children to lead, and you can't do that sensibly unless you've got the right information about how dangerous it is. And so this whole question of its toxicity has been an incredible saga. And um, we're finally getting, I think, down to the point where we're closing in on viewing it as being toxic in almost any level. Back at University Hospital in Cincinnati,
0: Amy Kalkbrenner is still in the obstetrics clinic as part of the work to get more information on the dangers of exposing children to minuscule amounts of lead. You may remember that she's the project director for Dr. Lamphere's new study that plans to follow 400 children from before birth through at least their early years. Ms. Brenner and a nurse are recruiting pregnant women for the study.
9: Melissa, well, we're going to give them juice boxes while they're doing the consent.
0: The consent process involves screening candidates and explaining what's involved if they sign on.
9: The consent's really long. <laughs> Down the road we were going to give them water, but we didn't get the water yet, but we had a bunch of juice boxes from another study. <laughs>
0: The juice boxes help ensure the women will be able to give a urine sample at the end of the interview. Ms. Cockburner hopes to recruit at least a few of the 15 women who are here today for their first prenatal visit, but it's slow going. Do you want to find out whether
9: you're eligible? Not interested. Okay. Thank you, Tisha. Thank you. Did you want to find out whether you're eligible first? Do you feel pretty sure you don't want to do it? No. Okay. okay. You've only been staying in a home for just the last couple weeks. Um, we're looking for people who have been in the same home for three months because we're going to be looking at your exposure to different chemicals in your home. So um, I think you wouldn't be eligible for the study today. Sorry, but you're actually not eligible for the study. We're looking mm-hmm. for people who are going to be living in the same home oh, during okay. the pregnancy. <laughs> kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye bye. Thanks,
4: Cam.
1: Thanks, <laughs>
0: By the end of the morning, Ms. Kochbrenner has plenty of no's and ineligibles and a few maybes. But she says it'll all work out.
9: I, I recently have been accused by my staff of being an optimist. But I always think, well, we'll just get better from here. You know, next time, we'll, I don't know, we have more people that we're contacting and we'll be more prepared. We'll have that special smile that, you know, has somebody say yes instead of no. (laughs) I don't know what it is.
0: In a small apartment in a Cincinnati suburb, technician Rick Hutchinson is conducting an environmental survey of the home of a woman who's agreed to be in the study.
7: What I'll do here is I'll mark off with tape, the area that I'm going to sample here.
0: He takes out a baby wipe and methodically rubs it across the windowsill. It picks up dust and a few paint chips. He puts the wipe in a plastic vial that will be sent to a lab for lead analysis, along with the other samples gathered during a two-hour evaluation of this home. We have one more dust wipe sample to take, and that will be off the
3: floor in the kitchen.
0: Stephanie Callahan's apartment is well-maintained with white walls and wood furniture. Other than around the windows, there's no flaking paint anywhere in the apartment. This mom-to-be is a 23-year-old respiratory therapist. Relaxing on the couch with a cat in her lap, she says she knew right away that she wanted to be a part of the study.
5: When I received the information in the mail, I was very interested... Probably just because of being a first time mom and also I currently rent an apartment and knowing that my first home was probably going to be an older home, it appealed to me just because I wanted to learn to make sure that when I do get a home, making sure that there aren't any things to worry about such as lead or mercury, things that I would never even think about. Also to get tips on you know household safety, maybe things that I you, know, you generally don't think about.
0: Unless she conducts her own testing, Ms. Callahan will never know the results of the lead assessment of her home. Based on a random assignment, her apartment will either receive extensive lead abatement or childhood safety improvements. And her baby will be placed in one of two groups that will be monitored and their development compared. Stephanie Callahan says for her, the most important thing is the health and safety of her baby.
5: That was the whole reason in getting into the study was, I'm going to be a mom and, you know, I want to do the best job that I can in raising this child.
0: And so our story ends as it began with a mother concerned about her child and the dangers from exposure to lead. Think back to Tony, now age 22, and his mother, Diana. The tragedy for them is that they can never go back to before Tony's lead poisoning, to before his troubles in school, to before the gunshot wounds and troubles with the law. And his mother may never be able to stop worrying about her son. Stephanie Callahan can be grateful that, thanks in part to the research that involved Tony, the federal standards of lead safety have been tightened That means that her unborn child will likely face far less lead in the home than Tony did. But Bruce Lamphere is still trying to find out if that will be safe enough. He should start to get some answers in a couple of years. And the original cohort of his colleague Kim Dietrich will keep revealing more data as it heads into its third decade. Along the way, the team will have to secure continued funding, keep those cohorts together, and perhaps face more professional criticism. As a father of three, Dr. Lamphere feels a special urgency to find some answers.
7: You know, I'm trying to do this because I think it will give children an opportunity to succeed. It will give them a better chance of having a healthy life. Children stand for hope. There's always some promise that they hold out. ¶¶
0: Over the months and years ahead, Living on Earth will keep checking in with Dr. Lamphere, Dr. Dietrich, Ms. Kalkbrenner, and the other members of the Cincinnati led Research Team. We'll tell you what they find out and how they go about revealing the secret life of lead. The Secret Life of Lead was produced by Cynthia Graeber with help from Chris Ballman and was edited by Diane Toomey. For more about lead, visit our website, livingonearth.org. You'll find a sound and photo montage, historical information about lead poisoning, links, pictures, and scientific research. And while you're there, share your comments with us about our documentary, The Secret Life of Lead. We're conducting an online survey of you, our listeners, at livingonearth.org, and we'd appreciate your feedback. Tell us what you learned, what you liked and didn't like about our coverage. That's livingonearth.org for your thoughts and comments. Chris Engels is our technical director. Allison Dean composed our theme. I'm Steve Kerwood. Thanks for listening.
3: Funding for Living on Earth comes from the National Science Foundation, supporting coverage of emerging science, and Stonyfield Farm. Organic yogurt, cultured soy, and smoothies. Ten percent of their profits are donated to support environmental causes and family farms. Learn more at stonyfield.com. Support also comes from NPR member stations and the Annenberg Foundation.
0: This is NPR, National Public Radio.